We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Twenty nineteen event two one took place. Still on YouTube. Not a conspiracy theory. You talk about it, you get your video shut down. Still up there. Here's the Center for Health Security. It's, you have the you know, highlight reel in all four sessions. Predicted the coronavirus would take over and what to do with it. You know, sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, World Economic Forum, Johns Hopkins, and all the players in it that you see, Facebook, Twitter, all this. Spoke of how to maybe shut down airlines. Maybe you got to regulate the internet. Maybe you got to uh, stop the fake news, things like this. People joked and poo-pooed on it. A month later, we're really right about the same time, you start hearing about cases, military games. Actually, in Wuhan, people were coming down with sickness. Our, the U.S. military, that is. There was reports of them getting sick. They, they didn't win. They didn't post like they used to. They didn't dominate out there. A lot of guys had flu-like symptoms. Come back. I started hearing about this in, was it, November, December. Guys I follow were talking about this new flu that was going out in, in China. Didn't think anything of it. I just kept an ear on it, thinking, well, I don't know what's going on out there. Didn't think anything about it coming, you know, the world shutting down over this. These guys spoke about stuff like that. Here's Tom Ninglesby, Johns Hopkins University. You saw next to him was Bill and Melinda Gates. This was this is just a highlight reel of things. This actually happened. No one seems to talk about it. Even in episode in section four, they talk about having to get your pastors on board to be able to basically tell people what to do. Not just our Catholic priests, but everybody in any religion, basically. They got to get them on board to help spread the word, spread the gospel of the Rona. What happened later? Here's the Holy Father doing, giving the Urbi at Urbi back in March 27, 2020. It was live streamed. Nobody there. Dark, ominous. Just giving it the message to a live stream, uh, to a video camera. Everything was closed, shut down. Nobody's seen that a problem. When you look by the TV, you see, if you were thinking in truthful wise, what is truth? Conforming your mind to reality. You look at your TV and they're saying, five people dead, head for the hills, we'll close it down. You're going, do you say five people or 5,000? Do you say five people or five million? I remember seeing at one time, my county closed and there were zero dead. Zero deaths. I went to a... I went to a, a uh, I went to a uh, drive-thru, get a meatball sub, a little mom and pop place. The lady uh, wanted to hose me down with sanitizer. She was dressed like she just got out of surgery. And while I was driving away, she said, I hope I don't die because I'd refuse the uh, hand sanitizer. It was that nuts. 
Why, why not just sanitize the, the bag he gave me, too? Probably did. <laughs> no matter what you did or said, you got shut down. Alex Berenson, he, he was bigger during this. This video got knocked down. Remember those, those uh, doctors out in Southern California? They got shut down. Millions of views shut down. Kicked off the internet. Kicked off. I've had a priest. I've had two sermons taken down on my channel. That's why I post most of this stuff that gets a little spicy over to other channels. And I just tell people to come over there. I'm not going to take channel suicide over this. We'll play the game. September, the CDC came out. 6% of all the Rona deaths. Remember, this was in the hundreds of thousands. There, you saw the ticker everywhere you turn on TV. There was a ticker. How many dead? How many dead? How many dead? Always rising. 6% of those that died had COVID alone. Stats came out. Even this one would say 2.6. Where is it here? 2.6 comorbidities on average. Remember, if you got hit by a bus a month after you got checked out for the Rona, which a PCR test was 95% false positive, mind you. According to the creator, Gary Mullis, on PCR, about this is a question on how accurate it is. And kind of weird that he died before all this happened. I think misused PCR is not quite... I don't think you can misuse PCR. You know, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you, if you, if you can say, if, if, if they wanted... If, if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. It starts making you believe in the sort of Buddhist notion that everything is contained in everything else, right? I mean, because if you can amplify one single molecule up to, a, to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body okay so that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to, to claim that it's meaningful but the the real misuse of it is is that it, you don't need to test for hiv you don't need to test for the other ten thousand retroviruses that are unnamed also in the subject see somebody that's got hiv generally is going to have almost anything that you can test for because they have definitely been hiv is a fairly rare virus there's only 1 million of us out of 250, 300 million people in America that have that virus. So you have to get around, either your mother had to have it and pass it to you, or you have to really be paying a lot of attention to people that do have it and paying only attention to them and get a pretty good chance of getting it that way. It's hard to get it, but it, if you have it, there's a good chance you've also got a lot of other ones. Because you've been in the, in the market for you've been it's been possible for you to get a lot of it's, it's, it's a, to test for that one and say that has any special meaning is what I think is the problem. Not that PCR has been misused. It's like it's not an estimation. No, it's a real. It's a really quantitative thing. It tells you something about nature and about what's there. But it 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 allows you to take a very minuscule amount of anything and make it measurable and then talk about it in meetings and stuff like it is important. See that that that's not a misuse. That's just sort of a misinterpretation. Out of the horse's mouth. And what we have now, a case-demic. You saw cases rising, cases rising. Even today, 14th July, as Massachusetts growing in numbers. Cases rise, 300 cases in a day. Australia's rate is closing down again. It's a case-demic. Scare tactics, moving the goalposts, all that. And we bought into this. Instead of being the light of the world, we played into fear. We didn't come out saying, hey, the truth is PCR 
is inaccurate. 95% false positives. How many people you know have was tested positive for the Rona and had no symptoms? This new thing, asymptomatic carrier. That used to be called healthy. People looked at each other as walking biohazards. I remember walking down the sidewalk and people running off the sidewalk to avoid getting close to us while we were walking in broad daylight in the middle and just outside on the sidewalk in the park. People getting arrested for going to a park. People getting arrested for going to the beach. Nobody spoke out about this. Neil Ferguson. He's the man that predicted 2.2 million Americans would die. Don't believe it? There's the Cato Institute. Neil Ferguson, Dr. Ferguson previously publicized most equally sensational estimates for mad cow disease, bird flu, and swine flu. This guy has been incredibly wrong on everything he opens his mouth on. Says a month later, 2.2 million estimates were being used without revealing the source by President Trump and Drs. Fauci and Burks to imply that up to 2 million lives had been saved by state lockdowns and business closings and or federal travel bans. I remember people close to me who called me up. We had arguments about this. I go, guys, stop listening to Vox, VOX, and others. That 2.2 million that he quote-unquote saved, I, that's like saying that I, we, we built 5 million, 5 million jobs. It's a number that, that you can't come up with that. Here it is. Trump claims that bogus claim that he saved 2.2 million Americans from death by, by COVID-19. It's still being played by the other party. It's the same party. And again, people go get upset about Biden. Trump never fired Fauci, didn't fire Burks, didn't do something that, hey, we're opening up. This is nuts. Now, I do believe in state rights, and if the state wants to do something stupid like close down, but good grief. He kept, he played the game, too, and did Operation Warp Speed, which is not good. And we have today. And we finally get people finally going to Masters, May 21st, uh, 24th, 2020. Today was the first Sunday for the return of Mass at Catholic churches throughout San Antonio. The Archbishop, Gustavo Garcia Sierra, closed the churches back in late March. The Archbishop announced last Monday that those churches could reopen today. Just look at this. They have lines. Just like you saw at Walmart, which was open, by the way, and never shut down. They were essential. The Catholic Church wasn't essential, apparently, to our own leadership, which I argue is the real pandemic the failure, the pandemic of bad leadership, the lines. It's a stupid line thing. They did that with other diseases where there was bugs that jumped off from one to another. This isn't a bug. This, they already mentioned how face masks do absolutely nothing. It's basically, a, it's, it's almost like, a, well, who is it that wrote that? It was a great article I did on, it was Crisis Magazine. A uh, priest wrote about it saying it was a face condom. It did nothing. There's plenty of studies that show it does nothing. How many people, I remember seeing the Michigan State uh, coach talk about he got the Rona. He goes, I don't know how. I religiously, religiously, wear a mask all day. And somehow still got it. And today at San Fernando Cathedral, families could be seen social distancing and wearing masks. Look at this. The Archbishop says he wants parishioners to know they are doing all they can to keep them safe. Again, we'll get into this in this interview. The heresy of safety, the heresy of health. What is this? And though today is the first day, so some people are still with a little bit of fear or... I had priests that I know of would preach against fear 
but their actions would scare everybody to death. You preach fear or say don't fear, but then you tell everyone you're going to die if you don't wear a muzzle. You don't die, you'll die if you don't bathe in hand sanitizer. You will die if you don't do this. We didn't we didn't walk the walk. We talked a good game, kind of. Even even that. Some did, but their actions still was worthless. Concern, but little by little and I think we did well this weekend. Those in attendance were asked to wash their hands and materials for services like Bibles when they were not, and Bibles were not handed out. Wash your hands and materials. The new religion of the Rona with holy sanitizer instead of the holy water, which actually is prayer for holy water to help you in uh, bodily health. It's holy sacrament instead of Eucharist, they have the vaccine. It's vestments of the, of the muzzle, the face mask, and the virtue of fear took over. We even called against each other. We turned against our, we it pointed our guns to each other. Churches that would open up had their own Catholics in some cases, had other Catholics called the health departments up to get them shut down, reported them to the authorities. Our own people did that. Spies I've heard were sent in other churches. In the book, COVID-19 and the Great Reset by Klaus Schwab, he has in the introduction, the spread of infectious diseases has a unique ability to fuel fear, anxiety, and mass hysteria. In doing so, as we have seen, it also challenges our social cohesion and collective capacity to manage a crisis. Epidemics are by nature divisive and traumatizing. We are fighting against is invisible. What we are fighting against is invisible. Our family, friends, and neighbors may all become sources of infection. Those everyday rituals that we cherish, like meeting a friend in a public place, may become a vehicle for transmission and the authorities that try to keep us safe by enforcing confinement measures are often perceived as agents of repression. Even he says at the end of it, COVID-19 will kill far fewer, fewer people than did the great plagues, including the Black Deaths or World War II ever did. And they took advantage of this. And we let them do it. And now the push is to get the experimental injection. You have not seen one bishop, well, I think maybe one, most all of them have said across the board using the same three by five card safe and effective closer to reality the diocese of fresno is clarifying where it stands on central california's catholics getting the shot in a video released last month bishop joseph brennan expressed his doubts towards the vaccine closest to fda approval the pfizer vaccine I encourage you not to. If it was developed with material from stem cells that were derived from a baby who was aborted. The disapproval was met with backlash from experts who insisted that information was false. A representative from Pfizer responded saying, quote, it is a synthetically designed vaccine that contains no human or animal products, end quote. Now it appears the bishop has acknowledged that. In a statement released Wednesday, he said, quote, without better alternatives and following serious reflection upon the health risks and needs for oneself, one's family, and the broader community, Catholics may ethically decide for serious reasons to utilize such vaccines. They are a better option than, for example, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which 
does utilize those cells. John Girardi's organization, Right to Life Central California, along with the Diocese of Fresno, put out a pastoral guide to COVID-19 vaccines. He says it spells out why Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines don't have the Catholic Church's full stamp of approval because of stem cells used in medical research, but are still the best choice for Catholics when considering a COVID-19 vaccine. Those are the sort of the best options that are available because they have the least amount of involvement with cell lines that utilized cells derived from aborted fetuses. In Fresno, my my problem has been, as many people have said, is is that all we care about? Do we care about actually people dying? Right now, too. I mean, not just that. Yeah, it's bad. But come on. The leader of the Roman Catholic Church is urging everyone to get the coronavirus vaccine when it becomes available. Bishop Robert Dealey says he unequivocally supports vaccines for everyone. Dealey says he is concerned about enough people using the vaccine in Maine because the state has had lower than average rates of vaccination in the past. Are bishops immune from being sued for medical misinformation? Vatican, without alternatives, COVID-19 vaccines are morally acceptable. I want to say to all of the Catholics in San Diego and Imperial counties that there is only one real pathway for us as a society out of the pandemic. Convert to the Catholic and Church? that is through the embracing of vaccinations by the whole of our... Not embracing Christ our Lord and Savior and becoming Catholic and having a great devotion to the, everything that the church teaches, but a devotion to the vaccine. The community. And so I encourage you to get vaccinated. It is safe. It is effective. It is holy in keeping with Catholic teaching. And as Pope Francis has said, if you receive a vaccination, you're not only helping to protect those around you whom you love so much, you're helping to protect the whole of our world. Safe and effective. I was happy to participate in a clinical trial for the Pfizer vaccine. I've had no side effects. All the vaccines we have available are safe, effective, safe and, and free effective. to everyone. Free. Our church has looked into it and it's morally legitimate to receive these vaccines. As Catholics, we have a responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters, particularly those most vulnerable. And our gospel calls us to a life of charity and mercy. One way we can respond to this gospel of mercy and charity is through this vaccination. By if you wear a mask, you're not going to get shown mercy. Getting vaccinated. I mean, if you don't wear a mask, you're not going to get shown mercy by most people. God bless you. There's a couple quotes they have on their website. Vaccines against Rona are safe, effective, and free. Oh, well, as long as it's free. Church approves the use of all available available vaccines. More obligation to protect others and ourselves. But if it doesn't work, <laughs> vaccines against COVID-19 are safe. How do you know? Effective and free. Church approves all use. It's the same thing. It's a three-by-five card. It's exactly what they've been told to say. Archbishop taking Rona 19 vaccine moral, uh, morally permissible. He plans to take the shots himself. It's Archbishop Gomez. I hope that pathogenic priming is wrong. Archbishop Aquila received COVID 19 vaccine, urges faithful to prayerfully discern being vaccinated. Supich publicly received his. Then we have photo, other photo ops. His first shot in December, he has made it an Archdiocese of Chicago mission to urge others to get vaccinated. We do have a moral responsibility 
to look out for each other's benefit. And it is an act of love to be vaccinated. But that moral responsibility became confusing last week when some bishops and other U.S. archdioceses urged Catholics to choose the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines over the one-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The bishops say the J&J &J vaccine should be avoided because of its greater use of cell lines cloned from aborted fetal tissue. Yeah, Supich and the Vatican disagree. That, uh, no one has to choose. Uh, all the vaccines are morally acceptable. Um, I don't know the reasons why they uh, said what they did. Uh, I think we have to speak with clarity. Yeah, clarity indeed, except no one does that. Archbishop Laurie encourages vaccines as act of charity and love. It's a three by five card. Iowa's bishops issue a statement on COVID vaccine. Basley says it's morally acceptable. There's, some people have concerns about safety and uh, safety of vaccines. There's no scientifically proven link between vaccines and other conditions, such as autism. That's wrong. I actually have plenty on that, too. All right, I kept this for these photos. I already used them. Sorry. Uh... Archbishop Michael Rozanski received the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine at Catholic Charities in St. Louis Cathedral Towers building in St. Louis. There's actually others, in, like in Miami, that people have gone into the church and set up COVID uh, vaccine shots in the, in the church. Here's Miami Archbishop gets COVID-19 vaccine. It shows it's safe, morally ethical. And right now you have door-to-door door, uh, door door going on right now in my city, Charlotte, North Carolina. Door-to-door. Door. It will be on Clown Planet later. But remember, here's the numbers from VAERS from July 7, 2021. And 1% of all reports, of 1% of all the VAERS reporting gets turned in. 1%. As of July 7th, this is how safe and effective it is. 438,000 reports, 9,000 deaths at 1%. At 10%, you're looking at 90,000 deaths. 26 hospitalizations, 80,000 office visits, 985 miscarriages. Again, 10% is 9,000. You tell me it's safe and effective. So I asked Phil Lawyer to come on on the book because there is not that many people talking about this problem. Sure, we get people to talk about others. I hope you enjoy what he has to say. Maybe buy a book or two and hand it to your local priest. Maybe a bishop. Get prepared. <laughs> if you want peace, prepare for war. We're about to get shut. We will get shut down again. The time to do any kind of action is now before it happens again. To stop the, the next wave. Not the wave of a, of a virus. The next wave of our cowardly shutdowns. Or running to the hills and hightailing behind the couch. Welcome, everybody. Steve Gunning with Sense for Daily. I'm coming at you with Philip Lawyer, author. Uh, I was going to be a joke and say author, comedian, historian, but no, just he's an author up in Massachusetts, uh, founder and editor of Catholic World News, the first English language Catholic news service operating on the interwebs. He is also a program director of the Center for Restoration and Christian Culture at Thomas More College in New Hampshire. Uh, other books that he has are Faithful Departed, Lost Shepherd, it's uh, a book on Pope Francis, Smoke of Satan, How Corrupt and Cowardly Bishops Portray Christ. I've seen that at the Tan Office. And What Can Be Done About It. I think that was the second part of that title. And, but we're talking about a book he has called Contagious Faith. But first, 
Phil, welcome. Thank you for uh, coming on to talk about this. Thanks for having me. So, Contagious Faith, I know why you wrote it. Can you explain why you decided to write a book on this? You know, G.K. Chesterton says you shouldn't write until you can't not write. (laughs) And that's what happened to me. I was so upset during the lockdown that the churches were closed, that I couldn't get to Mass, I couldn't get to the sacraments uh, for a while there. without couldn't for a long while without some subterfuge extra work and i thought it was so outrageous that the churches were closed the churches were deemed non-essential services uh, that i felt like i had to say something about it and i had to try to get other people to understand why you should be upset by what has happened to us in the last year and so that's what the book is about yeah you know um, my brother's a priest for the fraternity of St. Peter. So he's been dealing with a lot of stuff that you read about, like the the holy sanitizer, the new vestment yeah. of the mass, the having to dip your hand in water between the Eucharist. Uh, uh, just frustrating beyond frustrating. Here where I'm at, a lot of priests went, yeah, 10 people only allowed. Wink. But across the border, it was canceled th- completely. Right. Well, you know, when I say I wasn't able to get the mass, the truth is I was able to get the mass because I knew the right people. Right. But that's not the way it should be. I mean, the churches should be open. The churches should be welcoming people, and particularly at a time when people are worried and fearful, fearful of their lives. Now, as it turned out, I think they shouldn't have been. Uh, But the church should have first given them perspective so that they weren't panicked. And second, if they were worried about their lives, the church should have been giving them a sacrament so that they'd be prepared. That's the whole point. Yeah, I was saying that the uh, the first couple of weeks, we're like, okay, let's back off, see what's going on. But after two weeks, you're going, okay, now, uh, what's up here? Uh, right, right. I mean, I think we were all frightened at first, uh, partly because of what we were hearing at first about how this disease was going to be so terribly contagious and deadly, and it turned out not to be nearly as contagious and deadly as it was made out to be. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not minimizing it. It was a serious, it was and is a serious disease, but not nearly as bad as you would think if you only read the newspapers and you know, saw the TV. But then after a while, you start saying to yourself, well, okay, you see the actual statistics, you see the likelihood, uh, how likely it is that you will be seriously ill and it turns out to be actually not that likely. And so you make some, if, if you're rational, if you're not panicked, if you have open confidence, you make some rational decisions and you say, yes, there is a risk if I live my normal life, I'll get sick. But then there always is. And there's a risk in everything you do, whether it's getting into a car or, or you know, going out to eat at a restaurant, which may or may not have poisoned food, you know. Uh, there's always risk in life and intelligent people weigh those risks and make their own decisions as adults and we should have been making those decisions as adults all through this mess i was looking at this man the church dropped an incredible fumble to be the leader in the world out of the the darkness that's coming on we should have been the light saying hey guys absolutely Absolutely. oh wow we dropped it absolutely it was a it was a real missed opportunity to say look you're all afraid. You're afraid. And what is it that you're afraid of? And you know the line that is most common in all of sacred scripture, be not afraid, or variations on that theme. Be not afraid. And why are you not supposed to be afraid? Because we have the good news. Because 
it turns out that even if you are afraid of death, death isn't the worst thing. You know, I've been over the last few years struck again and again how the, the early church fathers, the early church, the way they were appealing to people was telling them, we have this wonderful good news. You don't have to die. or You die, but you continue to live. And so it's not, you know, there's the, there's the message of hope. And that's why, and that's the message that I argue is contagious. That's why I named the book Contagious Faith, because if you have that message, people want that message. People listen, you know. Christianity sells. Yeah. Yeah, but ever, when everything started opening up, it's like, guys, go out. Don't, first off, I never wore a muzzle. Smile and have somebody miraculous medal. They're going to remember you when you do that one. And then invite them to Mass. Right. But there has to be, has to be a Mass to invite them to. <laughs> yeah, because you mentioned towards the end, I was going to wait for that, but in the end, you talk about the traditional surge. And I lived in Denver. I was going to Mount Carmel out there, the fraternity parish. And they were busting out the door so much that we they had other Catholics calling them up or calling the health security up to shut them down. Right. You, my brother had people doing that up in their area. I'm sure you heard many stories. You know Canada about canceling baptisms. Yep. Uh, it's almost like there's a book called the uh, by Father Fulgence Meyer on uh, Plain Talks of Marriage. And he talks about during after Spanish flu, what would you think about priests that were too scared to go out for their own good to do their own job? And that was then. Could you imagine right. what he would say now? Right. You know, this is this is something that again troubled me. The priesthood is not ordinarily a dangerous profession. There are dangerous lines of work. I'm sorry, I don't mean profession, vocation. There are dangerous jobs, you know, uh, police officers, firefighters, those are dangerous jobs. Every once in a while, priesthood turns out to be a dangerous job. And that's what you signed up for. And a, a priest should a priest should have wanted to go out there. And I know many good priests who were doing as much as they could to deliver the sacraments. And what I find incomprehensible is that they were being discouraged. And they were being viewed by their bishops as the troublemakers. And the ones that were sitting home watching Netflix were being viewed as, as the ideal priests, which they weren't, because they weren't doing what they were called to do. And you, you know, you mentioned the fraternity and the traditionalist uh, orders, and I found them at their jobs. You know, they were, they were doing all that they could do to deliver the sacraments, which is what they were supposed to do. And I wrote in the book that I think you're going to see part of the fallout from this is a lot of the people who went to the traditionalist parishes and to the other parishes that were pushing the envelope in different ways, they're going to keep going to those places and they're not going to go back to the parishes that were closed down. Yeah, not so, yes, I'm a fraternity guy, but even up the road 35 minutes from me is a diocese parish that there was no ropes. He kept the doors open. He mm -hmm. and he has the worst immune system of any priest I have ever met. And his confession still indoors didn't change a thing. But then he mm -hmm. had other priests that I would joke saying, "Well, look, Father's going into surgery." Or I had to ask him to take away, to stop putting sanitizer because I got tired of tasting it for the host. That's yeah. Well, I guess another thing that another reason why the. Um, 
traditional parishes looked better, not just looked better, they were better, is that they had an intrinsic alarm that went off, I think, when some of the more outrageous practices were recommended. You know, for instance, I mean, when you see the sanitizer on the altar, as if it's a sacred object, when, when it's, it's the only thing you see, when it looks as if the sanitizing is the most holy part of the mass, something is seriously wrong. Yes. No, yeah. I mean, the dipping in between the fingers, which causes the Eucharist to dissolve a little bit more, to stick to a priest's fingers instead of having it dry mm. and being able to put it in your mouth. Hence why they do it that way. Right. And it's a crime against the Eucharist. You mentioned the one about the uh, a container that somebody could drop that a Catholic yeah. store was selling. Uh, Fortunately, as far as I know, none of them was ever used. Thank I, God. I, I hope not. It's outrageous. But... I mean, I did hear places here of places. I never saw it, but I know people who went to places where you received the Eucharist, like through a plexiglass mm -hmm. shield, like at a bank teller. You know, it's yeah. I got photos of that. I was uh, saw some of those in South Carolina. Those uh, people were sending me photos of that. Um, un unreal. But we know it's coming again. Do you have any hope that anybody, bishop wise, will? Stand up. I know there was a priest in uh, Arizona that apologized and said he will right. never let that happen again. Uh, I know about the English priest, but I think two weeks later he changed his tune on a Twitter account. Uh, do you fit, do you have any hope for down the road? Or when yeah, I, I do. Um, but first, let me pick up on something you said. You know, it's coming again. It is coming again. I mean, this was a test case, and you know that there will be another disease sooner or later, probably sooner. Uh, maybe it will be a variant on COVID. Maybe it will be something else. Maybe it will just be a seasonal flu. There's a flu every year, pretty much, that goes around. And in the past, when there was a flu, people took normal precautions. Uh, and they didn't come to mass when they were sick, which you shouldn't if you're infectious, of course. Uh, and, you know, they practiced social distancing, even if it wasn't called that. Um, but it's going to happen again, and I suspect very soon we're going to be asked uh, to, to change our lives again. Maybe not as dramatically because there's a disease, maybe not as bad a disease, but you see what I'm saying. It's coming again, and, and a precedent was set, and it's a really bad precedent, and we have to bust that precedent. But you asked me if I'm hopeful, and I, I do have some hope. I mean, part of the reason I wrote the book is because I want other people on the warpath I want lots of people on the warpath. That's why I want everybody to read the book. You know, it's not just for my sake. Um, I do know several different places where groups of men have gone to see the bishop and pleaded with him saying, don't ever do that again. And at least every time, every place that I've heard of, the, the bishop has been receptive. Now, whether that will prove out when the crunch comes, I don't know. But I I think one of the things that has to happen is that message has to get through. That message has to get through to pastors and bishops. Don't do this to us again. And if you get pressure, which you will, if you're the bishop, if you get pressure, just know we'll be behind you and, and we'll support you. And I think more than that, <laughs> frankly, we'll make you a hero. <laughs> no. we'll, we'll look at you as a hero. Yeah, they, I know like the the PCP or is it the PPP that one was that came in there were a lot of dioceses that took it and there was a CBS article about eleven thousand 
parishes took PPP, individual parishes, not just the diocese. So I wonder if there was any financial incentive to keep the doors closed. I mean, that's just a speculation on my part. But I know uh, close to me that people that were very influential had money. And I don't don't want to like say it, but it just if you walk like a duck, talk to, talks like a duck, maybe it's a duck. Uh, I wish we had more guys on our side that had that. I don't know, it were influential enough to be able to tell the bishop or a priest, "Hey, guys, this is stop stop gaslighting the lady." Right, I I'd like that too. I th I think realistically we have to assume. Look at the powers that were arrayed against us this time. I mean. The, the large corporations, the government, the mainstream media, I mean, most most of the media outlets, uh, you know, local government, schools. Uh, realistically, we have to recognize that if the crunch comes again, we'll be in a minority. But at least let's be an active and vocal minority. And I think that that is where I see this leading to, you know, what. Uh, Pope Benedict said, well, before he was Pope, about a creative minority in the church. The church is always most active, most attractive, growing fastest when it's in a minority because the people in that minority identify so thoroughly with the church and they're, you know, they're in inspired by the church and they have the sort of faith that is contagious. Yeah, you cut the fat off, you get the uh, muscle back and they start going out and doing what they're supposed to be doing. I guess that's a, that's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> but sad part is we lost a ton of lukewarmers. And yes. I know personally and family-wise, on both sides, my wife's family and ours, uh, a lot of my aunts and uncles, in-laws, they ain't coming back. Um, I wonder how many millions are like that. I wonder, too. You, you just can't spend months telling people, don't worry if you can't come to church. Don't worry about it. You can watch on TV. Uh, you can watch on live stream. It's and the implicit message, and nobody ever said this, but the implicit message was that's just as good as going. Well, if it's just as good, uh, then why go? Because you know your bed is always going to be more comfortable on Sunday morning, particularly in the winter. You know. Yeah, you had a couple and, of great quotes on that about the uh, the one guy eating Doritos or trying not to uh, have a glass right. of wine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's not the same. You are not. You are not attending mass. You watch. You're an observer, not a participant in the holy sacrifice when you're watching on TV. And again, if if you're sick, you can't get out. You're you're homebound. That's the best you can do. Okay, understood. It's the best you can do. You can't do better than the best you can do. You can't do the impossible. But if you can get out, my goodness, there's there's just no comparison. Yeah, because that's mass. You know, you had confession. Then there's confession. And there's baptism, and there's the anointing of the sick. I mean, to me, the the most horrible, horrible part of this whole thing was the thousands of elderly people who died alone, essentially prisoners, many of them suffering from dementia, not knowing why their family members weren't coming to see them, hopeless. And that's such a judgment against us that we allowed that to happen. No, yes, yes. I mean, I know a friend of mine, he, he took him days of just trying to find a priest that would even attempt to go to the hospital for her dying mom. Well, again, you had a sort of winnowing here. The, the, the good priests were very, very busy. Yes. And the lazy priests were very, very lazy. 
And uh, we noticed. And as you brought up, they got applauded for it. Uh, right. Yeah, and now when it first came down, it was, you know, I remember Holy Week, and I had three parishes uh, live streaming Holy Week, which included Tenebrae, and they were doing the pre-55. We had, now on a positive note, we had 100,000 people that watched pre-55 liturgies for the first time ever in their lives. So mm -hmm. in, in a sense, they got exposed to something incredible right off the bat. Now, obviously, that after <laughs> two weeks of that going... Yeah, I ain't, I ain't no one. I, no, we never did. We didn't dress up and suit and tie in the living room and throw incense at a TV like I saw some people. It's just <laughs> one of those things you don't eat dinner, uh, watching dinner. You watch the Food Network, you don't come out. Wow, I was satisfied. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That's an interesting point too, and I think that's another thing that happened that will encourage people towards traditional liturgy is that some people went to the traditional mass because that's the only option they had and then saw it for the first time and were introduced to it. And, you know, again, to use the, the food analogy, when you're hungry, uh, you pay, you appreciate it all the much, all the more. Yeah. You're not turning guy for everyone and say, Hey, I'm going to eat. <laughs> right. Right. But you had a couple great lights. Uh, I was telling a buddy of mine, man, you had to check this out. He has Stonewall Jackson right off the bat talking about death. It was a very Catholic idea that he said about knowing the time God has the time and place of my death. I'm not going to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I was just struck by it because he's a well-known man and he put it in a very pithy way yeah. in extreme circumstances. I mean, he's talking about in battle, not worrying. And we weren't in battle. We weren't in anything like that danger. But we should always live with that same feeling, you know? I mean, some people, particularly in Christian circles, there are some people who are spending all their time trying to find, figure out when the end of the world will come. And it's always struck me as kind of a pointless exercise. I mean, it's coming for me within 20, 30 years. That, that much is very easy to predict. That, that's really all that matters in my life, you know? It, it could come any day, we all know. Just, just be ready. But again, have hope, because the end of the world is not the end. Yeah, the church is about uh, saving souls, not uh, keeping you healthy, right? Right. Well, that's why I write about the um, what my friend Doug Farrow referred to as the, uh, the health-first heresy, mm -hmm. uh, bodily health. You know, that is not the main concern of the Catholic Church. It's the main concern of your doctor. If you want to talk about your health, go to your doctor. If you want, if you want advice about your health, go to your doctor. You, you shouldn't have to come to church and have the pastor telling you, or your bishop, telling you what you need to do to be physically healthy. He's not an expert. He's not a doctor. Uh, you know, and he should treat you like an adult and assume that you are talking to the doctor and that you're making intelligent decisions for your own and you bring up obviously like saint charles borromeo who took the eucharist to the streets and maybe they didn't have it inside but they had it outside it it wasn't shut down or saint right. malachi right yes this is uh, during the lockdown i was told many times i shouldn't be upset because saint charles borromeo closed the churches of milan which he did and then he had mass outside in the piazzas and in the streets. Mm -hmm. And he heard, had arranged for confessions in the streets. The priests who had masses in parking lots and heard 
confessions, you know, out in the fields, I have nothing but praise for them. It's not ideal, of course, but you do what you can do, and they did. Yeah, we had one like, 10 minutes away. He did a confession outside every day of the week for about two hours. Wow, and, God bless him. Yeah. Oh, it was great. And he was, the, the cars were wrapped around. They would, you, you'd park. You'd get out of your car, go to the confessional. He'd sit, he was <laughs> sitting on the other side, risk, went, and repeat, go. <laughs> right. People well, were driving, like I told some uh, others, that I did a podcast on excuses. Oh, well, we can't do this. And, and they're, say you're in South Carolina. Well, you could get in a car like a lot of people did, cross the border and went to a confession where a priest was actually doing his job. Right. Well, a lot of people went to a lot of extra effort to get the sacraments, which you should if you have to. Uh, and again, that there's a winnowing. You, you notice who was delivering and you also notice who is coming. By the way, you mentioned, you mentioned excuses. This is another thing that troubles me about the months of, of the live stream mass. You know, now you come into, uh, well, be a few more months, we're coming into the winter again and we'll probably have flus and probably have snowstorms. And there will be people saying, well, can I get to mass today or not? And it isn't going to look like as big a deal to miss it as it used to be, particularly if there are still dozens of masses being live streamed all the time, which I think there will be. And, and I think that's fine. Again, it's better than nothing. Yeah, you're a, you, you wrote a piece about this bishop, out, I think it was in France, who told people that, one, you got to stand behind us, make sure you're behind us, but yeah. invade the churches. And right. I, I mentioned that on a podcast, and I think people took that to heart, which I was happy about, because I saw a priest on his online thing getting upset that people were trying to get into the church. <laughs> yeah, well, I did hear, uh, you know, I think it was that bishop who suggested... You know, or maybe it was someone else. I've seen so many comments on this, but it suggested next time you're headed into church and somebody tells you, well, you can't come in because we already have 50 people and that's our limit, or you haven't got your vaccination certificate, just walk in. Say, okay, who's going to stop me? No, oh, yeah, yeah. It makes for an interesting situation. <laughs> I know it's happened in a couple of places just because not wearing a mask out in the, I think in Kansas and Maybe yeah, Texas, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, nothing's happening. Where I'm at in the South, we haven't none of that has happened. Even at places that were, well, the ones that were closed have still been closed. But the ones where Father dressed up like Doctor, uh, uh, <laughs> Doctor House is <laughs> going. Hey, Father, you working on a car? Or are you giving out the Eucharist? What's going on here? Uh, and got the holy sanitizer when you're walking in. I saw a video of Chicago. You, literally, the first person you do when you walk in is somebody squeezing this stuff in your hand while right. you're basically in a hazmat suit walking into a parish. Right. And that last I heard in Chicago, you need to show proof of vaccination if you're not going to wear a mask. Well, you know, you don't have to show proof of anything else. You don't have to show proof of citizenship or show proof that you adhere to the teachings of the church or show proof that you're married to the woman you're bringing with you. you proof know? you got baptized. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I keep saying that we're going to have that eventually, uh, uh, the passport to get in the parishes. I hope I'm wrong, but I got a feeling that's going to be happening. Well, if it is, then there's going to be a little struggle at the, <laughs> at the door of the church for me. Where do, you, uh, where do you go about on the obedience for people that are scoring at home going, 
you know, there's you got the false like obedience that I know back in the was the forties and fifties. Father was telling me about the guys would drop a pen and tell their brother, tell the guy coming in, going, pick that up, do it again, pick it up. Versus obedience of, right, do we respect God or man? I mean, do we, I, yeah. I mean, a part of me is like when someone asks me about the like the vaccine part, and I get up, I get frustrated. I go, guys, they've been lying to us for a year. How do you take this? How you can, how how you can they make the moral claim when they've been lying about this whole thing for a year, making it worse and worse and worse and gaslighting? Where's the line of obedience to basically you know like being a Martin Luther type deal? I'm not not saying that we are that way, but right. No, that's a good question. I mean, I can't fault the priests. There are a lot of good priests who were ordered to close their churches by their bishops, and they had taken, you know, they had sworn on the day of their ordination to obey their bishop. I didn't take that sort of oath. Uh, I am under an obligation to obey the bishop on matters of faith and morals. I, I am not obliged to obey the bishop when he tells me, you know, who to vote for or, uh, or when to get my blood pressure checked uh, or any other medical issue. And as far as I'm concerned, these were medical issues. And I don't recognize the bishop as a medical authority. I'm with you there. Uh, good answer, good response. Because it's, it's a touching, a fine line. It um, is. It is. And if it's a reasonable request, you know, if, I mean, the, the bishop has the authority to regulate the liturgy. Mm -hmm. And if it's a reasonable regulation, uh, you don't have to like it. You have to respect it, but if it goes against reason, then I, I feel like you have to make your own decisions. And, and we we kind of use some absurd examples, like if the bishop tells you to wear a pink bunny outfit, do you do it? And I actually had people like kind of quite like, well, you know, like, wait a minute. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And why is he saying you go to the? issue of why is he saying things? Is, is he saying things out of love for the church, reverence for the Eucharist? You know, uh, if he's telling you not to wear a, a, a greasy t-shirt, uh, I'm with him. <laughs> if he's telling you it has to be a blue necktie, I'm not so sure. I have nothing against blue neckties, but you know. <laughs> that was another point you brought up that I was pounding on before too was uh all of a sudden, now we're preaching on matters of clothing when priests never touched right. that topic ever. But now you right. have to wear a mask in the church. Right. Right. After years and years of ignoring people coming in, you know, in cutoff shorts and T-shirts and all sorts of inappropriate clothing. Uh, and that did relate to the atmosphere of reverence for the Eucharist. And the mask doesn't. So it's just, it's odd. You know, it, it was a wake-up call in a lot of ways because I observed somewhere else after writing this book that we had the church uh, in the position of doing something that society thought made sense. The society doesn't think it makes sense to tell you you have to come to Mass on Sunday or to tell you you should dress appropriately or to tell you you should fast or whatever. 
but now society makes sense, sees why we're doing it, so it's okay to do it. But there are lots of things that the church should be preaching and teaching that do not get preached and taught. Uh, just for instance, the use of contraceptives. Uh -huh. And why? Because they're offensive to society. And okay, it was, it was our right to tell me to wear a mask and get vaccinated and so forth because that's not offensive to society. Then which way is the, which way is the influence flowing? Is it that the church is influencing the culture or that the culture is dominating the church? Because it should be that the church influences the culture. If it's all one way that the culture is influencing the church, then we're losing the battle. And by the way, we have been losing the battle for, for decades now. Being creamed. Uh, I'm sorry? We're, being, we're, we're getting creamed in the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're hemorrhaging Catholics going out the church, particularly young Catholics. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know what they say about when you're in a boat, you can't steer a boat with the current unless you're going faster than the current. You can steer against the current. Mm -hmm. You might, might be rough, but you can't steer with the current unless you're going faster. The current just takes you wherever it's going. Here's a softball easy one answer probably. When should the church obey the state? <laughs> Never. Uh, that's the point I'm making. Yeah, no, that's what I said. Here's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it, it. You have to. I have to back up now and say I think the church should obey the state in some respects. Uh -huh. The churches should be built up to building codes. You know, the fire, the, the fire protection system should work. Uh -huh. uh, you should let the building inspector come in. You should obey zoning. Uh -huh. uh, but beyond that, the, because those are. Those are your responsibilities, the church as citizen. Uh -huh. And you are, you know, we are all citizens. But as far as when the state tells you when you should deliver the sacraments, under what circumstances, how you should go about it, never, never, never. Just no, no thank you. Nice hearing from you. Have a nice day. Go away. <laughs> we'll take that into consideration. Bye bye. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, getting the message out there is. Free and poor. We were uh, Vigano would talked about the Great Reset, and I saw I use the example a lot. Tons of secular folks who pretty much hate us was jacked to see and put out a Catholic bishops calling out the reset. Again, it goes back to if a priest would just say or a bishop, this is a scam. What's going on is not right, unjust. I'm not lying to everyone right now. I apologize for ever doing what I did before, and I promise it will never happen again. What do you think the response would be? I think it would be, uh, it, would, it would tell him a lot right away. I think some people would be outraged. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of comfortable people would be outraged. You know, he would, he would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable if he said that. Yeah. Uh, but he would comfort people like me and I guess people like you and probably a lot of people who are listening to us in this podcast. And he would get... A, a tremendous reaction. He would really enliven uh, the people who, who were in his church. I have no doubt about that. Final thing, with, uh, besides buying the book and telling people about it, because like I said, putting sh shining a light on the darkness is how exposing it and getting the info out there to people who all they do is watch TV and get the news. You look at TV, you think bodies are dropping in the streets, even today. <laughs> right. 
what else can they do besides that? And, uh, and you got any advice for them moving forward? Well, I give some advice to at the back of the book, but I think the most important thing is to be in touch with your pastor and be in touch with your bishop and make sure they know how you feel and make sure they are hearing from people who are not ready to lock down again, who will resist the lockdown, uh, who demand the sacraments, who demand they do their uh, vocational duty. And to let them know that if they do resist, if they do face resistance, they will also have your support. But above all, be demanding. They, they should be demanding of us and we should be demanding of them. Courageous, but yet respectful, right? Right, yes. And have confidence that if you proclaim the faith, if you're witness to the faith, if you're serious about the faith, it will work. It will work. It will bring people closer to God. It will bring people closer to you. It will fill the pews. You know, eventually it will fill the coffers. It might take time. I'm not, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, rose-colored glasses about this. I think things are likely to get worse before they get better, but they will get better because, as I said, Christianity sells. No, you're you're in the right company. I keep telling my it's gonna get worse. Don't worry. But I do it with a smile. I think how do you Why say not? this? <laughs> you gotta have some joy in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Phil Thomas More, who's one of my heroes, I understand when his barn burned down and a whole lot of his possessions, he had a party. <laughs> exactly. When he looked out the tower and saw the Carthusians dancing like they were going to their uh, their spouse, uh, going to going to the gallows. Just so much joy coming out of it. But yeah, we forget that part. We like yelling, but we don't like laughing as much. <laughs> Phil, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. I had fun. That's the book, Contagious Faith. I have the link below in the show notes. Uh, yes, and I appreciate Yeah, Again, buy one or two for everyone out there because there's plenty that needs to get you. What was, it, what was the whole uh, allegory of the cave? Uh, people think that the shadow is on the wall, and when, they get, when they, you show them the truth, they may get mad at you and try to kill you. Maybe they won't kill you, but they'll get mad. But you got to do it. Nice. I feel appreciated again. Thank you.